Biggest news story in Ohio at the moment is the gerrymandering. It will dictate whether we come out of the funk we've been in in the legislature forever. And that's the first story we'll be talking about on this Friday episode of Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I am Chris Quinn, and I'm here with Lisa Garvin and Laura Johnston. Layla Tassi has weekend duty, so she'll be missing from this episode. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Man, this was a long one. Yes, and it's good to have some snow drifting outside my window for once. Yeah, this has been like the worst week I've ever started a year with. So on Monday, Laura, I'm officially saying that begins 2022. We'll <laughs> Hit put the this restart button. <laughs> in the dustbin of 2021. Okay, let's go. Why is the Ohio Supreme Court taking so, so long to rule on the gerrymandering case involving state house and Senate seats? These cases were filed months ago and the court had its hearing a month ago this Saturday. Laura, what are the ramifications for what seems like an unconscionable delay? I'm sorry, Lisa. Yes. Um, actually, we haven't heard any reasons on why there's a delay. They're just saying that, you know, we can't be hasty with the ruling. And there's, uh, we did talk to Cleveland.com, talk to oh, Ohio's Supreme Court Justice retired Bill O'Neill. And he said, you know, they have to vote on it. They have to write the opinion. It's a very dynamic process where things change a lot. And he says they don't want to be hasty with the ruling, but but time's a wasting because the filing deadline for deadline for candidates for the state legislature is February 2nd. And for congressional uh, districts, it's March 3rd. So we're running out of time here. The legislature apparently does have the ability to change the dates because it's a statute, not a constitutional thing. So we may be seeing these primary dates move. We don't know. The plaintiffs, which include the ACLU and the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, are like, we don't know when to expect the ruling. We're anticipating sooner than later because of the timeline, but they, they just don't know. So it causes problems for candidates because they don't know what district they'll be, you know, filing and they have to circulate petitions within that district. And so, yeah, it's causing a whole lot of problems. I I did think the insights from O'Neill were quite helpful because he talked about when I was writing an opinion at times because it was a 4-3 ruling, I would either be too strong or too weak. And then suddenly somebody else was writing the opinion because my colleagues wanted to go in a different direction. So, you know, I had presumed they get together, they vote, they're going to go this way. Somebody gets assigned to write it. They, they circulate it to make the wording work kind of like we do with the editorial board, Lisa, mm-hmm. and then they would go, but he makes it sound like that as they write this thing, people get persuaded to different places. Plus you have the huge wrinkle here where Mike DeWine's son, Pat DeWine is a part of the process. That's gotta be making everybody uncomfortable. He should have recused himself. He's probably gonna face some serious challenges to his law license when this is over. It's it's an unconscionable decision of his to stay in this thing. The The other thing that that you do take a little bit of solace from I mean, they did point out this is the most expedited kind of schedule the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court does, that they rush this thing. 
and you know maybe they're they're counting on the delay of the the change i just i expected this the last week of december and i'm i'm just you know how long do they push it they can't what do you let it go to march right <laughs> there has to be some final deadline coming and they owe it to the citizens of ohio to get it together and get it done yeah hopefully and of course i guess they uh, we we could say that they're being deliberative because they don't want to be wrong they want to you know they want to issue a good ruling but they are getting pressure from secretary of state frank larose he's like we need a ruling asap so i can move forward so yeah hopefully something will start to pop you know next week yeah let's hope you're listening to today in ohio we are coming up on Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, which has always been a big deal in Cleveland. Does it look like the coronavirus is going to hamper it yet again? How high is the rate per 100,000 residents now risen in Ohio for the coronavirus, Laura? Well, it's bad news. I mean, the number just keeps going up and we're at a we're in Cuyahoga County. We're at least no longer the number one in the state. We're second after Erie, but this number of cases per hundred thousand residents here is still two thousand four hundred and seventy-two point six. I mean, that's just incredibly high. Remember when we got down to fifty per hundred thousand? So some number three is Summit County. So Northeast Ohio is in a bad spot, and and public events are feeling the brunt of that. They're not going to happen because they don't want to be super spreader events. So the coronavirus is hampering Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The Cleveland Orchestra is postponing its big celebration until June. The Botanical Garden is staying closed until the end of January. We haven't heard about all the other museums, which generally offer free admission on this day, but the celebration concert and community day for the orchestra is a big deal. It's generally spread across the Sunday and Monday. It's free, open to the public, and sees packed houses with more than 2,000 guests in performance sitting and standing shoulder to shoulder where they include sing-alongs to anthems like We Shall Overcome and Lift Every Voice and Sing. So they are still going to do it. It'll be closer to Juneteenth this time, but so I'm not sure what we're going to see it's next Monday. Yeah. It, I mean, it's unfortunate that it comes when it does, because we are in this surge. But, you know, you do you do get the indications we might have peaked. I mean, we are the statewide case number is not at a record level like it was last week. It's still very high. But with any peak, you you slowly recede from it. And, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays have been days where you usually see some big numbers and they're still lower than what we saw last week but this thing is right ahead so you're right maybe they'll use juneteenth to kind of recover from what what cannot be done in in a week from monday so it's uh it's too bad lots of things are being canceled you're seeing all sorts of meetings and others going back to virtual because nobody wants to spread this virus. Right. The North uh, Coast Harbor generally does an ice festival on that day. It brings people out. It's free. That's all outdoors. And so far, I think that's still happening. But obviously, that's a lot safer. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why are Cleveland schools returning to in-person learning again so quickly after deciding to start the new year remotely because of the coronavirus? Lisa, this one threw me a little bit because, like we just said, we're in a bit of a surge still. We're still at very high numbers, but Eric Gordon took a look and feels safe bringing the children back. He is having the children come back into the classrooms next Monday, the 10th. Gordon says he's seeing a significant decrease in reported COVID cases, and he's also nodding to the new CDC quarantine guidelines that cut the uh, quarantine 
time from 10 days to five days. And then, of course, wear a mask for five days after that around people. So he's one of the ones who's taking that guidance from the CDC, apparently. In the Cleveland School District, uh, there were 111 new cases. 51 of them were students, 60 were staff. That does make the school district number three in Ohio, though. So Eric Gordon, and we know he's he's very, you know, he's really there for the kids and he really wants to make it a safe environment for everybody. So he's going to continue to monitor. And he says, you know, parents should be ready for the possible return to remote learning, depending on things happening. And he's going to make some quick adjustments as things unfold. But he does have some, you know, some tips. Everyone should wear a mask. Stay home if you're sick. Check yourself for symptoms. And I did not know this, but apparently there's free weekly testing at schools, and he wants staff and students to take advantage of that. And he also, and this is very important, as we found, you know, through Chris's, um, you know, reporting, that, you know, you need to report these cases to the uh, school district. They have a hotline to do that, or you can email them. So, you know, that's the problem that they're, you know, yeah, we have these cases, but there are probably more back there. But we've also seen that Omicron kind of comes on hard and then kind of fades quickly. At least we're seeing that so far. The We had a story that we published last night about how Northeast Ohio schools are leading the state in this. And the number one happens to be the one where my wife works. So teachers in Solon were wigging out after we published that story last night because they're number one. But we got lots of schools that are like it. But as far as I can see, this isn't leading to a big spread. Laura, are you seeing anything in your district that would lead you to be alarmed? No, we're getting the the emails saying someone in the school has tested positive for COVID. But the numbers aren't, I mean, they're high, but they're not as high as you would think they were. And I also wonder, like Lisa just talked about this, when you have a a positive test, you're supposed to call in. But the tests are still hard to get for a lot of people. And I think maybe some people are just keeping their kids home and not even finding out if they have COVID or not because they're just, they're keeping them away from people and it's complicated. So I don't really know. I don't think we're ever going to really know how deep the spread got. From, from schools. But, but look, Eric Gordon made a decision because it was a big unknown coming out of the break, how bad it would be. Other schools came back as they had planned and he probably checked that landscape and said, okay, yeah, kids are getting it. It's, it's not the end of the world. They're not getting terribly, terribly ill. And teaching remotely is not the way to teach. I mean, everybody right. knows that's a bad form of education. It's a stopgap. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to get them back in. He cares deeply about the kids and he cares about their safety. Well, and they're the only district I know that went back remote. I mean, they they made us a, a call earlier and I think other people were waiting for it. But so they've looked, They they were careful and they've cautious and looked at the data and they said, okay, I think we can go back safely. Every other school's doing it. Right. Yeah. But big school districts like Chicago and some big cities, they went back to remote learning right away. So it's not like Eric Gordon is like out in the, you know, out in the wilderness. No. So, but yeah, so, and and much larger school districts in Cleveland and other states have gone back to remote learning for now. Well, we hope the kids stay safe. It's today in Ohio. How did Matt Dolan distinguish himself from the rest of the Republicans seeking the Ohio seat in the U.S. Senate with regard to the anniversary of the insurrection in Washington, D.C. yesterday? Laura, it was nice to see one of the candidates not being a coward, not standing behind fiction and calling it what it was. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, all of Dolan's opponents in the Republican primary are basically competing in the Trump Olympics. And this week, <laughs> they've all either downplayed the attack or criticized the official response to it or just not mentioned it at all. But Dolan put out a statement. He calls the events, quote, an attack on American democracy, our constitution and the rule of law. He basically said the other Republicans running against him are wrong, that they show a blatant disregard for the constitution. And he talks about the police officers being assaulted and the American lives being lost. And he says that continues to reverberate today. And that falls in line with what Rob Portman is saying. And remember, they're running for Rob Portman's job. Um, he put out his own tweet saying that it was a stain on the nation's history and need to be sure it never happens again. Well, <laughs> people like Josh Mandel are basically saying, this is not an issue. This is not what voters are talking about. But it's like, that, that seems beside the point. Josh. Well, what what's really troubling about this is that none of these people running are stupid. So they know what happened. They know that the president of the United States tried to overthrow our democracy. And instead of doing what what integrity demands of you and calling it out and trying to protect the democracy, they're standing behind it. I mean, the worst of it for me now is Bernie Moreno. Mm. Two, three years ago, this was a guy who had universal respect in Northeast Ohio uh, 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 for his business acumen. He participated on lots of boards. You know, people had thought he might make a good mayor. And now he's come out after originally saying Biden won and said the election was stolen. He knows that's not true. It, it is an incredible act of cowardice for him to now stand there and say it's stolen. I mean, it's just... I, I, how do you look your spouse or your children in the eye? I mean, what kind of country do you want to leave them? And I, to watch somebody like Bernie Moreno, we took that guy to the gridiron dinner. We hosted him at the gridiron dinner five, six years ago because he was this rising upstanding citizen. And now he is doing reprehensible things. So I'm, I was just so glad to see Matt Dolan do it. I don't know if he has a chance in hell of winning this thing, but, but at least he stood up and, and said truth. I mean, where is, where are the people who used to care about integrity and speak the truth? That's a very good question. I, for, for years now, I've had that reverberating in my head where it's like power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But these people aren't even in power yet. They're already just kowtowing to what they think people want to hear. And I don't know why you'd want to elect anyone who doesn't have a backbone. I, 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 I think it's less than a backbone. I, I, I mean, this, I mean, what's, what amazes me is they'll, they'll quote George Orwell when they go down the road. Look, I always wondered, I read lots of history about what happened in Germany under Hitler. And I wondered how an entire country could go mm -hmm. that way, how smart people could allow such atrocities to happen and to back something like that. And I never understood it until the last five or six years when people like Bernie Moreno, are out there saying the election was stolen. We're, we're the, all of the people that are saying our democracy is in the brink. Jimmy Carter wrote a thing this, this past week. They're right. Our democracy could disappear because of people like Josh Mandel and Bernie Moreno and the reprehensible things they're saying that they know aren't true. That's my speech for today. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the most dangerous places in Northeast Ohio for traffic crashes, or at least they were in the year before the latest numbers are available, before the pandemic? 
Lisa, what do we know? Yeah, these are uh, numbers from 2019 for five greater Cleveland area counties, Geauga, Lake, Medina, Lorraine, and Cuyahoga. And they looked at uh, 39 traffic quarters that had at least five accidents. Um, During 2019, uh, there were like, I don't know if this is right. Wait a minute. So during that period, there were 50,300 crashes and there were 134 fatalities, which was up 22 from the previous year. And then there were 1,337 serious injuries from these accidents. And that's up over 300 from the year before. But when they crunched the data and looked at these corridors, the... This kind of surprised me. Number one is Mentor Avenue, which is also US 20 between Hopkins and old Johnny Cake Ridge Road. There were 229 crashes, five of them with serious injuries and or fatalities. St. Clair made the list twice. They are at number two from St. Clair between East 93rd and East 115th with 168 accidents, 12 of them serious or fatal. And then they came in again at number five, St. Clair from East 115th to Casper Road. That was 161 accidents with 12 of them being serious. One of them near my neighborhood, Dill Dill and Nottingham, which they changed names after they crossed Euclid. But between Euclid and South Waterloo, 160 accidents, 10 of them serious or fatal. A couple on the, a lot of them seem to be on the east side. There's one, number seven, West 25th between Clark and Lorraine. There were 155 accidents there and five of them serious. And then Cleveland, East Cleveland on Superior Road between East 108th and Hayden, that was 153 and five. So yeah, kind of an interesting, and one in your neighborhood, Chris, on Cedar Road, that was number nine, Cleveland Heights, University Heights between Goodner and Fenwick. They had 150 accidents there, five of them serious. So yeah, kind of surprising to me. Well, that's that's because that's right where the high school right. is. I imagine that involves some high school students. I, I, I'm not surprised that it's happening out in some of the outlying areas because they've grown so quickly that the roads can't keep up with them, and I imagine that leads to impatience and things. It was a, it was enlightening. I would have I wouldn't have thought that the, all the places that were were listed would have been at the top. There are others that I would have thought. So it's a, it's a good story put together by Bob Higgs. Check it out on cleveland.com. It's today in Ohio. Ponzi schemes are one of the clumsiest of crimes, all but guaranteeing that the criminals will eventually get caught. Yet year after year, we keep seeing them and with them, the loss of people's life savings. How much time does the latest Northeast Ohioan to get caught face in prison after pleading guilty this week? Laura. So this is a former financial advisor named Tara Brunst, and she admitted Thursday to her role in this Ponzi scheme, at least that's what prosecutors are calling it. It fleeced 54 investors out of $9.3 million, according to them. Mm. And Brunst is 47. She's facing these five charges and eight to 14 months in prison when she gets sentenced May 5th. She began working at this investment firm in Westlake in 2015. The scheme was already going on there, but the prosecutors say she was one of three people who ran it and they used new clients' money to pay those who initially invested. And she was responsible for the loss of between $150,000 and $250,000, the prosecutors say. At least one man says he lost his life savings. And basically, they're accused of making false and misleading statements to get people to contribute to the funds. They told investors they were buying annuities and secured notes that had no exposure to a risk of loss and guaranteed rates of return, which obviously no investment has a guaranteed rate of return. 
Yeah, I mean, over and over again, we see people thinking that they can beat the system by getting ridiculous returns. And despite all the advice, it's always out there. It seems too good to be true. It probably is. But what I, I'm never going to understand why people go down this road as the scammer, because you're always going to get caught. I mean, eventually the thing gets so big and people get stiffed and they go to the authorities and you go to prison for a long time, but we see it over and over and over and over again. I don't know. This is no, I have no desire to start my own Ponzi scheme. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a strange one. So she'll be spending some time in prison. It's today in Ohio. Hey, Lisa, why is social media in Northeast Ohio buzzing about snowy owls? What is it about snowy owls that has electrified people? Well, as a bird nerd, I can tell you that snowy owls are kind of like the, the like the unicorn, especially for people who live in the south. I mean, you just don't see them coming down this far south, you know, a whole lot. They do come to Cleveland just about every year. There is a snowy owl sighting. But Tim Jasinski with the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center says that, wow, this has been a real good year for sightings. They started seeing uh, snowy owls showing up along the Lake Erie shoreline in late November, early December. And that's usually where you see them. Um, And people do. I mean, birders will go hundreds of miles for a sighting. And so I'm sure there are a lot of birders from out of state looking for these snowy owls. They're magnificent creatures. But Jasinski thinks it was a good year because there was, uh, you know, it was warm up north in the Arctic where there were. There was a lot of food, lemmings. They like to eat lemmings, voles small rodents in that thing. So that's his theory. And if you want to see them, he thinks that the peak might be over, but there's still been some sightings. Um, They've been sighted at Lorraine Harbor Fishing Pier. If you go to North Marginal Road at Burke Lakefront Airport, they're they're usually sighted there. Uh, Also between the 55th Street and Edgewater Marinas, although these were spotted from a boat so not from land. But yeah, this is pretty exciting. Uh, they He thinks that they may stay through March, but the peak may be past. But you could probably still catch a few if you're determined. Laura, you're a big maven of the lake. Have you seen them? I haven't seen them this year. In 2018, when I was running the Rock the Lake site, I did go out searching for these owls. And you... I had like the zoom of the camera, right? And you're like, I think, I think that's something on the ice. That's when Lake Erie was totally frozen <laughs> over and you're just looking for a dark spot. But I made this video, I've got to go back and find it where we were like, it's just search, the, the search for the snowy owl was was the point of the video. And they call this, when there's a large number, an eruption, like mm-hmm. with an eye mm-hmm. eruption of birds, which you're right. I love that you called yourself a bird nerd, Lisa, because... <laughs> Birders are a special group of folks, and this is really cool just to, to see an owl like that on the lake. It is, I mean, right. I'm not sure it's worth driving hundreds of miles, but it's cool. But so if somebody wanted to try, the, mm-hmm. they'd go to the places you mentioned, Lisa, mm-hmm. and they would look on the rocks. Yeah, that, there's on... a yeah, there's a lot of breakwaters just offshore there. But they also like open areas. I mean, they actually spotted one at Hopkins Airport, well inland, because they like open, flat areas because they can see their prey, they can see their competition, and you know, kind of work out their turf that way. So, you know, we'll see. But it sounds like a low odds kind of thing. Like yeah, you gotta be patient, and you should have one of like something that helps bring your binoculars. Yeah, spotting I, scope. I, I mean, mm-hmm. okay. Well, fascinating. I wonder if people go out this weekend to do that. It's today in Ohio. All right, Laura, what's the word on the ski hills that people around here go to? Boston Mills, Brandywine, and Alpine Valley. 
it's cold today. It was 16 degrees when I got up. Is it cold enough for them to open or are other factors getting in the way of them opening? It is cold enough. They've been making snow and Boston Mills is opening today, the first time of the season. This is the latest I can remember in my recent history. I went back and looked and January 3rd, they opened a couple of years ago, but this is really late. Alpine Valley and Brandywine are staying closed and it's not the snow issue. It's the staffing issue. We've, we've reported on this over and over again. It's hard to find workers, especially when you want people to stand out in the freezing cold and run chairlifts. And Vail Resorts, which has owned these three Northeast Ohio resorts for about three years now is offering people $11 and 25 cents an hour to run them. They say this is an increase, but that is not enough to get people to work. They're having trouble with staffing. And so they are only opening Boston mills from three 30 to nine 30 PM on weekdays and 9 AM to 5 PM on Saturdays and Sundays, which is less than half the time they're normally open. So you've seen a big pushback on social media of people that bought seasons passes last year, believing that they would be able to ski normal hours in a normal season. Will you be on the ski hill this weekend? <laughs> I am planning to go tomorrow. It's going to be 40 <laughs> degrees and sunny. They're only opening two slopes, the beginner slope summit, and then the intermediate buttermilk. And I am so afraid the lines are literally going to be an hour long because it's the only place you can ski in Northeast Ohio in the middle of the day. But, um, I knew I'm, you I'm were crossing be there. my fingers and hoping that it's just enjoyable to be outside. But um, this is obviously every industry is facing the shorting staff, the staff shortages. But I just have to look to Cedar Point, which obviously had problems earlier in the season. They paid people $20 an hour. They got enough people to run the rides. Mm -hmm. Like, like, as you've said on this podcast before, Chris, it's not that simple. The answer is to pay people more. Yeah, right. They just have to pay more. Well, it's supposed to be 40 and sunny tomorrow. I hope you have a good time. It's today in Ohio. Short podcast today. Good talking to you, Lisa. Good talking to you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens. If the Supreme Court of Ohio does issue its decision on redistricting, we will be all over it, looking at it from many perspectives. Have a good weekend. We'll be back Monday with another episode of Today in Ohio.